Business Hour with Oliver Reng on OFM. So F&B understands the unique challenges that are faced within import and export businesses. Thereof, their trade finance offers are structured to ensure unique transactions for both importing or exporting. And they create tailor-made solutions to suit your business needs. I have the pleasure of being joined by Jeremy Dufton Helps. He's the brand engineer and events director for the popular Karma's Makers, who will let us in on a bit more regarding their journey to success. Jeremy, such a pleasure to have you on. On the OFM Business Hour. For those who don't know, please can you tell me more about Commerce Makers? I can, Libra. We've actually done two shows in Bloom, funnily enough. The last one was a couple of years back. Essentially, this is our 20th year. We started in 2003. It was an idea born with four women in Stellenbosch who were either creative or worked in the creative space, had friends who were artisans, either potters or ceramicists or painters or clothing designers, etc. And, you know, if you rewind back, South Africa was a very different place 20 years ago. There was pretty much no social media. There were very few markets. We tend to take, you know, the sort of neighborhood goods markets almost for granted now. There's one around every corner. There were hardly any, you know, in 2003. So these artisans basically had nowhere to sell their products. If you didn't have a big backer behind you, if you couldn't afford to sign a two-year or three-year lease on a fancy shop in the V&A waterfront or your local mall, you kind of had nowhere to go as a very small starting entrepreneur, irrespective of how talented you were. So they decided they were going to do a market, a Christmas market. It was in the run-up to Christmas, and they had about 30 makers, and they said, right, we'll get them into a really cool space, and everyone will bring their stuff, and we'll all make some money. When they started looking at a venue, they had no budget, obviously, because they were essentially just four girls from Stellenbosch who had an idea and eventually realized that they were never going to be able to afford to hire some fancy venue. So they had the idea of taking literally all the furniture out of one of their houses. They filled the rooms, the empty rooms, with makers. Hence our original name, which was Commerce for Huskenka. Kuskenka, obviously, because it was a Christmas show and the cameras were the rooms in someone's house. And they got about, I think they had in 34 makers, they got about 800 shoppers and everybody made a bit of money and they thought, this is a good idea, we'll do it again next year. And they got more people and more people. Then someone from Pretoria said to them, hey, we came down, we saw this show, don't you want to do one up there? And once again, they used the trusted formula and they went into someone's house in Irene and ended up getting arrested because because they blocked the traffic in the entire suburb because four or 5,000 people turned up. And that's, I think, when they realized, you know, we're onto something here. Yeah. When I came into the business, they actually just asked me as a brand strategic consultant to have a look at the business because they realized that they were on top of this powerful thoroughbred racehorse that was running away and they weren't quite sure where it should be going. They knew that they'd kind of outgrown Combs for Huskenka in Stellenbosch, a couple of tunnies doing something at home, but they weren't sure where to take it to. And I mean, I took one look at the business and just said to them, you're sitting on something absolutely incredible for this country for the time, which was probably 2014 when I got involved. Fast forward to last, well, this year, last year, where we had over 60,000 people through six national shows and serviced probably in total 350 
makers. Now, what we mean by makers is artists and entrepreneurs, so small, talented businesses, sole traders, anyone who's got something beautiful that they've made and they're trying to sell. So what an incredible initiative with a fascinating backstory. Thank you so much, Jeremy. What are some of the challenges do you often encounter in this particular business sector? The single biggest challenge level was really when we started, there was a real stigma attached to local. You know, the phrase local is lekker has always been around, but it didn't really mean that much outside of Cook Sisters and Biltong and Fairleys. There was still a massive feeling completely throughout retail that if it wasn't Italian or French or to an extent, you know, New York or L.A., it wasn't good quality. It wasn't trendy. It wasn't something that you wanted to be seen either using or wearing or driving, whatever it might be. So that was the massive, massive challenge, you know, for a small business to try to shift that massive elephant out of the room in terms of just because it's made in South Africa doesn't mean it's inferior. And we've done an amazing job of that, I think, but we've done it with the help of South Africans who really have turned a corner in the last, I would say, 10 years and certainly the last five years, realizing that it's actually quite cool to buy local and you don't have to compromise on quality and durability of stuff. And we can make products that absolutely stand next to anything that is made in Florence or Paris or New York or anywhere else. So that, I think, was one big challenge. You know, the other challenge was really just keeping self-belief going that this is going to work and people do want this. And when we have a hurricane at Rebersburg, one Stellenbosch, and an oak tree falls down and smashes one of the marquees and we have to close the show on our busiest day, you wake up the next morning and say, you know, we stand up and we go again. Because as an entrepreneur, that's what you have to do. There's no rosy tinted view of being an entrepreneur. It is the best job in the world, but it's also the hardest job in the world. And you have to be pretty tough. Yeah, and I think in South Africa, you have to be especially tough considering everything that we experience here. Well, Jeremy, what are some of the factors that you attribute to the success of the business and who has been instrumental in helping you to grow? Look, the people of South Africa have helped us to grow. That's the one thing that we are incredibly grateful about is that, as I said in my last answer, people really did embrace the fact that there were talented people making good products right here in our own country. I think the fact is, is that I'd love to say we were incredibly astute. And I think to a degree we, we may well have been, but we were also very lucky in that we were the right platform at the right time in that what I call the brown bag generation, which is this a whole new, probably in the last 10 years, maybe longer, a generation of consumers who don't necessarily want mass cheap plastic stuff. More and more people are becoming aware of where was this thing made? How was it made? Why was it made? Who made it? What are the impacts of it being made? You know, that is kind of an upper class privilege to be able to consider that. The vast majority of people in this country just need to put food on a table and try to afford shoes for their feet and have to buy whatever they can afford. But I think what we've managed to do is we've managed to bring the price down of local stuff. And certainly people have embraced that. In terms of partners, look, this is an FNB insert and, and they are our partners and they've been fantastic partners in terms of we had had various experiences with various banks down the years and it was kind of the way banks always were, very big, very difficult, 
to sway in one direction or another away from corporate policy. Quite impersonal in the sense of you speak to a call center and you go through this and you need to fill in 7,000 forms and et cetera, et cetera. And when we started talking to FNB, they, they talked a really good game in the sense of, you know, how can, we are the How Can We Help You Bank. We are all about technology. We are really trying to do things differently. We are 100% behind the entrepreneur. And I sort of, with my cynical old brand marketing head, said, yeah, okay, that's a spin. Great. Got the sales pitch. Have you got a farm in Adley Street? You can sell me <laughs> as well. <laughs> and then when we started working with them, they really did deliver. And, you know, they've never said no to anything. They've questioned stuff. And, you know, we come up with crazy ideas. And they will always say, okay, let's think about it. Let's look at it. And some things we've come at from a different angle because with their guidance, they've said, look, that's not going to work within regulatory structures or et cetera, et cetera. But what if we try this? I mean, they've created some unique products specifically for our makers, you know, really aimed at an entrepreneur who doesn't necessarily have 10 years of bank records and a house they can remortgage, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but has a dream and has talent to back that dream up. But the one thing they don't have is money and a credit record. And with F&B, we've managed to find some really creative ways to help those people. So it, it, as we stand, you know, two to three years down the line, definitely F&B have been a huge force for us in terms of just standing underneath everything else we do doing and backing us up and backing up all of our makers. That's wonderful. I mean, Jeremy, you've provided us with a glimpse into your transparent and I think supportive relationship with F&B. What would you say is the importance of having a good relationship with your bank in growing the business? Look, I think particularly as an entrepreneur and a starting a small entrepreneur, I don't think you can overstate how important access to funds are. And it's not just about who can lend me 50 grand so I can buy the leather to make my summer range of shoes. It's someone who will advise me, who will be there, who will listen when I need to chat, who will win this thing called load shedding, which five years ago, nobody ever envisaged on the economic horizon, suddenly this thing is here. It's a completely rogue variable. And to keep with the example of, of, of the shoemaker, you know, someone is making really beautiful shoes, but, you know, they're selling 50, 60 pairs at a commerce show and they make themselves maybe 60, 70, 80, 100,000 rand. Half of that at least goes back into stock for the next commerce show. They have to pay rent on the studio where they work. They have to pay their, their staff who work for them. Maybe they're trying to train people up. Now suddenly they have to buy a generator and an inverter or solar panels and they can't. And I think, you know, that's areas where F&B have come up with, I mean, they've got a whole division now in F&B, which is energy solutions, where they specifically deal with problems like that for entrepreneurs and say, well, hang on, let's see, can we finance this for you? And there are a lot of the excitement of being an entrepreneur is you never know what each day is going to bring. But that is also the fear. And to have, it's just muscle really, Libba, you know, to have a big brother or a big sister who's just standing behind you that you know you can just kind of fall back into those arms and lean a little bit when you need to. It's very, very important. You know, we work with our makers in terms of we get guys who come to us and they've created a beautiful product. They don't really know how much can they charge for that? How much should they charge for it? How much is someone going to be prepared to pay for that? How do they factor in their time? We get a lot of makers who come to us and say, well, okay, and we break it down and say, right, so you're going to charge 750 for, for, for these shoes. 
okay, break it down for us. And I said, well, you know, my leather cost is 380. I have to buy the soles in pre-made and those cost me 195. And then you suddenly say, okay, so 750, you're sitting at 738 rand. What about your time? And they look at you and you say, but that's where you're going to make money. People are, yes, they're buying a pair of shoes, but they're buying your pair of shoes. So there's a value to your talent, to your craft, to the time you've taken. And we'll say to them, you know, how long does it take you to make a pair of shoes? Well, maybe sort of two days per pair. Well, that time literally is money. And if you're not charging for it, all you're doing is working for your leather supplier and your and your soul maker. And that's the kind of conversations that a proactive bank will have with small entrepreneurs and say to them, you know, this is how you structure your cash flow. This is how you need to price things so that you don't make 500 pairs of shoes. And at the end of a year, you look around and you haven't got any money because all you've done is make other people rich. So I think one can't understate the value of having a bank that you can trust and, you know, to have a human rather than, as I say, a call center. And, you know, F&B do, they allocate a proper business manager. It's not a business card on a cell phone. It's someone who actually will come and see you and talk to you and gets to understand you and your business and how you work. Because the thing about an entrepreneur, particularly an artisan, in other words, a creative entrepreneur, is every single one of them is completely unique because they're making different products. They're working in different ways. They have different circumstances. They live in different places. I mean, we've got some of our makers everywhere from Worcester to Machubeskloof to one of our makers, Miss Millie. She makes the most beautiful station. Her husband runs the anti-rhino protein unit in the Kruger Park and she literally lives in Skakuza and makes her stuff inside the camp at Skakuza in, in the Kruger Park. In closing, what pearls of wisdom would you impart with other aspiring entrepreneurs who want to follow in your footsteps and that and those of commerce makers or that of commerce makers the first thing is there are no shortcuts we get a lot of people who come and they've got an idea and they want to make a million bucks in their first year because watch the apprentice or they've watched whatever or they've seen this or they saw something on YouTube and there are no shortcuts the second thing I would say is passion passion sells if you do what you love if you find Find what I call your sweet spot. In other words, that thing that kind of comes naturally to you, that you you almost do and your friends look at you and say, yo, I wish I could do that. Or how do you do that so easily? Or yo, you're so good at that. That's what you should be doing. Not becoming an accountant if you can design the most beautiful dresses because your parents decided you need to be a dentist or an accountant or a lawyer. Follow your heart. Try and find what is that thing that makes you the most joyous if you have a creative talent and then just go with it. Stick to it. Be true. Don't compromise. It will not be easy. Anyone who tells you that you are going to do that and you're going to make a fortune, you may well make a fortune one day, but you're going to kiss a lot of frogs along that road and you've got to be ready for that. So that's the third thing I would say is you've got to be tough. And the toughness comes from what I said before, passion. Because if you you feel strongly enough about something you know you find the strength to get back up when you get knocked down and it's self-belief it's it's knowing that if i keep doing this success will come money will come people will discover me and with a platform like karma's makers there is a home for you there's a there's a place for an entrepreneur to go where because the biggest challenge for an entrepreneur is i can make amazing stuff how do i get customers where do i find i can't go and walk up and down the street you know with a tray trying to sell my jewelry how do i communicate yeah i've, I've got 
social media. I've got an Instagram account. That kind of works, but I need credibility. And because Commerce has got such a good reputation built up over the 20 years for good products, for quality products, for stuff, for honesty and for the integrity of the makers. In other words, what they say is actually, you know, on the tin is kind of what's inside. If you can get into Commerce and you can sell your stuff on that platform, you're immediately a step ahead in the terms of people will take you credibly because you're at Commerce. So, well, they wouldn't be here if they were making rubbish kind of thing because Commerce don't sell rubbish. So I think it's taken us a long time to build that cred. So as a new maker, if you can come to us and you can meet the criteria and it's not easy, we are tough and we're tough for a reason because we're only as good as our last show and that last show is only as good as the 150, 160 makers who, who, who make up that show. So we have to be really strict and, and it's not easy sometimes when you see someone who's got a lot of talent but just needs, you know, that extra six months, that extra year to develop, to, to harden up, to polish the edges and you have to tell them that and you have to say listen come back to us and the ones that really have what I talked about that the passion and the self belief they do come back The Business Hour with Oliver Feng on OSN